0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. New mental health supports for Ontario students, and it's announced during Mental Health Week. We take a look back at the life of iconic Canadian musician Gordon Lightfoot. Does Leafs legend Daryl Sittler think the stars are aligned for Toronto? No sign of shrinkflation going away. And when deep fake and politics collide. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Big news yesterday in this province. In fact, Ontario has become the first in this country to make mental health literacy mandatory in grade 10, and teachers are going to be given more resources for students in grades 7 and 8 when it comes to their mental health. And one of the main players behind this new curriculum is Burlington Conservative MPP Natalie Pierre, who got into politics because of the death of her son, Michael.
2: My son uh, died by suicide back in 2017, and he was, uh, just like any other student, He had a part-time job. He was looking forward to going to post-secondary. He had friends. He went to the school dances.
0: She said after Mike's death, people came to her to talk about their own experiences, and she was really shocked by how many people were affected by mental health, and, well, she wanted to do something about it. Uh, David Hoy is a manager of social work and the mental health lead with the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. David, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm sure you were very happy to hear yesterday's announcement.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We obviously think mental health is a really important part of the overall student experience and ensuring that they're well-positioned to take on sort of the challenges that come with um, the academic side of it and the social side of school. So we were excited that it's um, sort of getting its place uh, on the agenda
0: I'm sure there's a lot of parents and grandparents listening right now thinking okay what what's going to change what can we expect to uh, see and hear in the classroom
2: so what I would what I would guess with mental health literacy um, and you know we haven't got all the technical pieces but I would assume it's going to be a lot more knowledge and awareness around identifying your own mental health we all have mental health but what you want to be able to do is sort of focus on when you're struggling uh, when you might need help, uh, how you could access that help, what that help involves. Those are really important considerations for young people to sort of make the choices that they need um, in order uh, to access help. Um, I also think what it's going to do is just bring the conversation into the classroom so people feel more comfortable talking about it and the likelihood of a student just reaching out to their teacher and saying, I think I'm struggling. Um, I think would increase dramatically.
0: Is the overall impact going to be sudden, do you think? I mean, we've been talking about mental health for for years. Uh, In the classroom, though, there's never been a mandatory curriculum to identify this. Do you you expect that impact to be big and big right away?
2: Uh, That's a great question. I think the younger generation is becoming much more confident in asking for mental health and expecting it. So I think we've seen a real uptake um, with our students uh, over the last few years. So I don't know how big the uptake's going to be, but I think they're going to be—I'm hoping that with the literacy piece and them being more aware of it, I think um, the ask for help is going to be clear. That's, that's what I'm hoping for, and I think they're going to have a better understanding of what support services are available to them, so it'll facilitate sooner access. And I love the fact that the ministry is looking at grades 7 and 8 instead of later on in high school when some of the— patterns or some of the impacts of, of decreased mental health um, have more uh, impact on your overall functioning. And I think grade 7, 8 is a great opportunity for young people to sort of um, access some support before the big um, step up into secondary school.
0: Yeah, grade 7, 8, and 10 uh, are, are key years uh, for students because you're either getting ready for high school, you're, you're, you're one year in, and now you're kind of thinking about all the possibilities in front of you. Yeah, Absolutely what is the sense we only got about a minute here what is the sense of mental health within the public board right now are we are we uh, on the upswing are we trending in the right direction
2: you know i don't know if i would say that i think um coming out of the pandemic so i think a lot of students were struggling before the pandemic i think coming out of the pandemic it's had a lot of residual effects and i think we're just starting to see that now um but we do have a high number of students i would say adults as well are struggling with sort of readjusting um to this world that we live in now so i'm not entirely sure we've turned the corner i think i think we have to continue to sort of plug away because i think we're hearing more and more stories about young people who are struggling and we want to make sure that we do some course correction so they can get back to um sort of the the level that they want to be at in terms of future thinking and whatnot
0: well let's hope this uh, gets us to that place david thank you for your time this morning best of luck going forward
2: Thank you so much. Take care.
0: That's David Hoy. He's a manager of social work and the mental health lead at the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board as we talk about this new mandatory mental health literacy curriculum for grade 10 and more supports, more resources for students in grades 7 and 8. And got to give thumbs up to the province to being the first in Canada to, to not only identify this as a big issue, but to be doing something about it. Tip of the cap to uh, our uh, governing parties and uh, the government of the day.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: It is uh, Mental Health Week in Canada, and the Canadian Mental Health Association is really shining a spotlight on community mental health programs uh, and activities and uh, highlighting the importance of universal mental health care and really, you know, promoting these community Uh, mental health champions, those individuals who are trying to get us to a better place. Peter Blumenthal is one of those people, Director of Clinical Services at Canadian Mental Health Association, Hamilton Branch, and joins us now on GMH. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm good. Uh, The the theme this year, I understand, is my story. What's the genesis of uh, the thought behind that?
3: Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, Hashtag my story. And it's really about recognizing how we have always passed down information through telling our stories and collectively and individually we have multiple layers and stories that make us who we are and uh, stories can be shared in many different forms whether it's written spoken or through music like gordon lightfoot would have shared stories through um uh, we we share a personal experience through stories and it helps us build connection with one another and Uh, That connection builds empathy and uh, brings us closer as a community, and that's kind of the idea we're hoping to promote on Mental Health Week this year.
0: Is the sharing of stories, is the mindset behind that, you know, making yourself vulnerable, putting yourself out there, and almost extending... Uh, you know, an, an olive branch or a hand to say, hey, I need some help. I'm, I, I might be in a dark place. I might be in a good place. And here's my story. And uh, I, I hope you can relate. And, and if not, you can ask questions or provide feedback on that. Is that kind of what you guys are hoping for?
3: Uh, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's not always about telling our story to reach out for help, but sometimes it's also to inspire others to get help and build that connection. And when we do share our stories, there are numerous people that can connect to the emotions, the fears, the hopes that that are associated with those stories. And that can, uh, that can inspire them to sometimes get help as well and to just break down stigma and normalize the idea that, you know, we all have mental health and sometimes when it struggles, we need some support and that's okay.
0: Um, I understand you have a lot of events planned for this week. How can people get involved?
3: Um, they can come on the CMHA website to take a look at our calendar. Um, today we're gonna to be at City Hall. Uh, we've done this tradition every year prior to the pandemic and we'll be restarting it again now. And we have uh, numerous uh, organizations across the community that will come with booths of information and you can learn about what's available in the community. Uh, we're gonna have a barbecue there. We'll we'll cook up some food and we're hoping that the rain can hold off for a little while so we can have a, a good turnout of people and just bring the community together. We have a, a few different uh, events tomorrow, um, a panel discussion about the theme of hashtag my story at lunch. Um, in the evening, there's a, uh, a Tanya talking about mental illness presentation where a mother and daughter will share their story of addiction, homelessness, recovery, a, a lot of different themes in there. Um, but they're always, our, our stories that we want to promote are, are really based in the ideas of hope and recovery and uh, um, really want to, promote the theme by uh, making sure we have people that tell their stories as well this week and we, we hope a lot of people can turn out for these events. Um, there's uh, going to be an open house at CMHA on, on Friday for people that want to come in and see our place. There's going to be um, a lot of mental health events at Gage Park on Thursday morning for people that want to engage. There's going to be an art exhibit on Friday evening so there's a lot of things that are going on this week that we really hope people can get out to and uh, be involved with us in.
0: Our listeners can see the entire list online at cmhahamilton.ca. We're in discussion with Peter Blumenthal, Director of Clinical Services at Canadian Mental Health Association, Hamilton, as we talk about Mental Health Week here in Canada on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, Just yesterday, we found out that uh, Ontario has become the first province to make mental health lessons mandatory in grade 10, and uh, the school system is also going to offer new supports for kids in grades 7 and 8 how how
3: giant of a leap is this? I saw that uh, link yesterday. That is a a wonderful thing. Um, it's a mandatory is a pretty large uh, statement, and I think it's an excellent recommendation. We've we've done presentations in schools, and we've tried to work alongside our schools uh, every Mental Health Week specifically just to try to promote the messages of. Uh, how to live a healthy uh, mental mentally or mentally healthy life um, in our community, um, into the schools, into our education system um, because we we really want to work on prevention as well. and it's really about promoting, our mental health so that we don't become ill and we don't necessarily need to um, go through some of the pains and struggles that many of our community members have. Um, So mandatory mental health care in schools, yes, uh, sign me up for that. Um, (laughs) Big, big, (laughs) a lot of approval for that idea.
0: Absolutely. And long overdue, we know that uh, mental health of students, especially during the pandemic, has really been tested uh, and and put through the meat grinder. So this is an amazing step. We have 90 seconds. I want to talk about mental health in the workplace because that has been a focus of many employers and certainly employees over the last number of years. And it seems like we're heading in the right direction.
3: Um, I hope so. Um, I think uh, mental health in the workplace is something that uh, it hasn't always been acknowledged. And I think sometimes it's often been stigmatized Mm -hmm. uh, around. And I think we have to recognize that when people aren't uh, doing their best, uh, we see things like absenteeism, uh, presenteeism, um, things that affect the quality and the output of work, and if we can do better in our workplace to promote psychologically safe environments for our employees to uh, socialize, to be engaged, to be inspired with the work that they do, um, not only will it will help the people that work in those workplaces, it'll help the outcomes um, that the the work is trying to promote as well.
0: You're 100 right, Peter. Appreciate your time. Happy Mental Health Week, and let's hope we can get uh, Peter into a, a a lot of people into a better place at some point this weekend beyond. Thanks for the time.
3: Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it.
0: Peter Blumenthal, the Director of Clinical Services at the Canadian Mental Health Association, Hamilton. Again, that full list of activities this week online at cmhahamilton.ca.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We are looking back at legendary Canadian musician, Gordon Lightfoot, he passed away of natural causes at a Toronto hospital yesterday evening at the age of 84, born in Orillia, November 17th, 1938. He had several number one albums and songs and won 16 Juno Awards. And he also received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Junos, which was presented by American folk legend Bob Dylan. There comes a time uh, when it, uh, uh, it has to be accepted
4: and it's uh, small seems proper to accept it. I want to accept it while I'm still
0: going strong. The Canadian treasure is certainly going to be missed, and uh, the good news is his, his music will live on. His magical music will live on. Eric Alper is a music commentator and a publicist and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton.
5: Eric, good morning. Good morning. And you know, just to add about the fact that the music is always available right now, there are three songs on the United States iTunes top song chart. Uh, If you can read, my mind had jumped up from out of nowhere to number four sundown is number six and the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald is number eight so i think uh his death is touching a lot of people both fans and newfound friends too
0: you tweeted uh last night he's one of the greatest singer songwriters that ever existed and he will be missed what made his songwriting ability connect with people
5: I think just, you know, being the right songwriter at the right time at the right place certainly helped. And I think, you know, you have been in in radio for a long time and you know that so much of it is just that, Um, you know, not only was he able to write about the Canadian experience and about railroads and highways and and what it's like to fall in love and what it's like to fall out of love. um, But the fact that he was at the right place In the 1960s and 1970s, being in Toronto's Yorkville scene, specifically at the Riverboat uh, Club, where um, everybody from the folk roots world played, people from Buffy St. Marie to Joni Mitchell, um, Murray McLaughlin, Bruce Coburn, uh, David Clayton Thomas, before he landed in in, uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, and Neil Young and that was the people that he was hanging around and they influenced one another i mean whenever bob dylan came up to toronto and had a moment he would go um to that couple of blocks area where all the hippies were essentially um so he helped craft that pop rock sound of the 60s and 70s that we all know and love so many
0: iconic artists like elvis uh barbara streisand uh, really the list goes on and on who covered uh, Bob, or uh, who covered uh, Gordon Lightfoot songs, which is really a testament to uh, how much they enjoyed his music and how much they enjoyed his
5: songwriting. Yeah, Bob Dylan said that um, I can't think of any Gordon Lightfoot song I don't like. Every time I hear one of his, it's like I wish it would last forever. That's pretty heavy stuff coming from. Um, you know, music's one of music's greatest songwriters ever. Um, And the breadth of the people that covered him from Judy Collins to The Grateful Dead to Olivia Newton-John. And he even had a disco kind of EDM hit a number of years ago with Studio on 54 um, doing If I Can Read My Mind. I mean, that was a huge, huge club filler. Um, And uh, Billboard top, you know, top five on that chart. It just shows you how how open his songwriting was for not only interpretation, but I think sometimes the mark of a great songwriter is to be able to write a song in complete isolation away from everybody else, and then having 40,000 people sing it back to you with their own personal experiences. And, you know, not only did... I think he felt that love from the other songwriting community but also from this country um, bestowing him awards like the governor general's performing arts award and getting inducted into the songwriters hall of fame and getting honorary doctorates from universities and colleges across canada Um, he just ran the gamut so you really can't talk about the the modern era birth of Canadian music without mentioning Gordon Lightfoot in the first one or two names that you have to talk about.
0: Talking about Gordon Lightfoot with Eric Alper, a music commentator and publicist on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Everyone has an opinion about their favorite Gordon Lightfoot song. What do you think is at the top of most people's list?
5: I think if you can read my mind, it has to be up there. I think in terms of popularity, um, you know, it's just under a smidgen of 100 million streams on Spotify. Um, and it's definitely going to cross that mark sometime today. Um, but I think that one and Sundown um, are going to be the one that I think most people remember simply because they heard it so often on pop radio and hit radio and AC radio growing up. Um, but I think for, you know, if you're going to pinpoint why he was able to be so good I think the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is is a song that was, you know, a cliche as it may seem, like ripped from the headlines about something that really happened. That was a disaster with twenty nine people dying in that disaster, and him writing a song about it for people to hum along to. And um, that's incredibly bizarre when you think about it. But that's that's what songwriters do. They take things that are happening in real life and making it. Almost bearable, or in some cases unbearable, for us to listen to. But Gordon Lightfoot was definitely on the good side of that.
0: So, if Eric Alper is making a 2023 mixtape, "Summer Vacation" mixtape, which I know you're probably working on right now, what one <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot song are you putting on that
5: tape? Um, I I think "Rainy Day People" um has to go up there. I I adore that song. Um, it, it, it's 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 so, it's so symbolic personally. Uh, sometimes in my life where, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'll look at the rain and sometimes I guess I'll look at the rainbow. But, you know, that, that song is, is just an absolute classic. But, um, in the last 12 hours, I've woken up a lot of times just tossing and turning about, about today and, and what's going to happen and going through social media and working along um, and just seeing all of the amazing tributes. But, um, you know, I can't get Sundown out of my head. That chorus is just, it's just, you it, you, it's just a, a, astonishing sometimes that people write songs like this. Like it just didn't come from the heavens. And I'm not, sometimes I'm not 100% sure that it didn't.
0: Yeah, I think you're bang on with that one. Eric, we'll have to leave it there. Wonderful memories and a wonderful legacy from Gordon Lightfoot. Thanks for the time this morning.
5: Thanks so much for having me, man. We'll talk soon.
0: You got it. Eric Alper, music commentator, publicist, reflecting on the life and times of Gordon Lightfoot, a songwriter, Hall of Famer, a Canadian Music Hall of Fame member, a companion of the Order of Canada, which is the top of the top, the creme de la creme of Order of Canada's, Um, Queen's Jubilee, Diamond Jubilee, medal recipient, uh, Gordon Lightfoot survived by his wife Kim and six children and several grandchildren certainly he will be missed what a phenomenal legacy and you'll remember back in 2010 there was a uh, a death hoax on Twitter that Gordon Lightfoot had died and he ended up calling a radio station to say no no no, no. I'm still very much here so cut it out I'm I'm alive and well and kicking Uh, Gordon Lightfoot certainly had a sense of humor as well.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900
0: CHML. It is a big morning and a big night for the Toronto Maple Leafs because it is game one of their second round playoff series against the Florida Panthers after they knocked off Tampa Bay in round number one.
3: Back into the corner for Nyes, Nyes back in the net for Tavares, Tavares coming out, sends it in, oh, they score, they score, holy mackerel, they
1: score, the leads have won it, they're going to the second round. Do you
3: believe this? Holy mackinac!
0: Joe Bowen on TSN 1050 with what has been an iconic call of that. Iconic hole by Johnny Toronto scoring in OT to push the Leafs into round two. Are the stars aligning for the Maple Leafs? this season well let's ask our next guest he is a toronto maple leafs legend spent 12 seasons in the blue and white 916 points in 844 career games with the leafs daryl sittler leafs legend joining us here on good morning hamilton daryl good morning how are you
6: uh good morning to you and all your listeners uh yeah we're all excited to get the next round going and uh let's see what happens
0: As a long-suffering Leafs fan, I still can't believe they're into round two. I mean, 19 years is a long time. What do you think was the biggest reason that this year's team finally got over that hump?
6: Well, it's probably a culmination of a few things. I mean, we have a really good hockey team. We had a good hockey team the last few years. Uh, If you look at how we lost in previous seasons, uh, the other team would get a break uh, uh, here or there. And... uh, for this year we've been getting a few breaks uh the goal that Johnny Tavares scored uh you know he shot it at the net went off their defenseman's leg and in but you need breaks like that there's so much parity in the league and it's a fine line uh each night goaltending a cheap penalty or or whatever it might be can change the the momentum of the game and we've had a few nights where I think Tampa had outplayed us but we won because uh it was meant to be so to speak so the fact that we're going into the next round none of us would have believed that uh, Boston would lose out to Florida but at the same time there's so much parity in the league and I know our players and our team uh, have a lot of respect for Florida their coaching staff they had a, a great season the past year uh, winning the president's trophy they got a great goal and uh, they've got momentum going after beating the Bruins. So they believe in themselves. It'll be a tough series. And if you're going to win the Cup, you've got to go through the, the tough series to get there. So our first step, obviously, was getting by Tampa. This is our second step. Let's see what happens. There's
0: going to be a lot of key contributors in this series, whether it's Ilya Samsonov and Sergey Bobrovsky, the two starting netminders, or a guy like Austin Matthews or Matthew Kachuk, who both had tremendous seasons this year. At this time of the year, it's, it's one, as you mentioned, one or two bounces, a lucky bounce, a, mm-hmm. uh, a big power play goal. It's really the slimmest of margins that separates the winning team from the losing team. And that's what makes the postseason so exciting.
6: Well, that's why everybody's so excited to watch, you know, I mean, we are Leaf fans watching here, but uh, you know, I think a lot of people turn on the other series because the first round, there's so many uh, good games and you know, so many upsets. I mean, who would have ever thought the Colorado, the Stanley Cup champions, would be out uh, to expansion team from uh, you know, in the league two years? But that that can happen. And and uh, goaltending is obviously a key part of it. And Samsonov won a couple games for us, and Probosky, he had a little bit of an off season at times but we know what he's done in the past uh when he played for those other teams that's why florida signed him for a long-term uh expensive contract so he's expected to do it and uh we know that uh we have to have everything going for us uh i you know i believe that uh maybe the hockey gods are going to be with us this year they've been so far and and to me that's a, a that's a part of it getting the right break at the right time and and making it happen we do have a lot of depth on our team that's what I like uh, management went out and traded for a couple of guys just at the headline O'Reilly has experience uh, we've got a, a defense that uh, all have experience uh, Luke Shen has been a you know been a solid player in the league for a lot of years the players that play against him know he's tough he stands up for his self and his teammates so we've added a few uh, elements that we didn't have other years and I think that's going to you know board as well
0: Only well, we got 30 seconds i wanted to ask you about the 45th anniversary we just had it april 29th 1978 of lanny mcdonald's famous overtime goal against the islanders that puts you into the nhl semifinals you get swept by montreal in that series but just your memories of that time and that goal
6: well we had a team with a lot of character uh, roger nielsen was our coach islanders were expected to win it we were in the island on the road so it makes it even more difficult to win but again things happened uh for a reason there uh lanny was playing with a cast on his hand and a broken wrist but he was in a position to to uh get a shot on goal and uh again the hockey gods were with us we won unfortunately um th- to me that was the team that had the possibility of winning a cup but the canadians were so strong they were stronger than anybody else uh, they had more depth and uh we just couldn't knock them out,, uh, but the the team was uh, the team was a great team. and we're still all close together, all those guys that uh, played in that uh, that series and in
0: that era. That's great to hear it was an iconic moment and hopefully more uh, memorable moments on the way for this Leafs team. Daryl, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us.
6: Okay, thank you. Go Leafs, go.
0: You got it. Daryl Sintler, Toronto Maple Leafs legend, joining us here on GMH. You're
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, our grocery bills continue to rise. Each and every time we go to the grocery store, at least for me, I look at the stuff that I bought and I thought, well, I, I paid that for this? How can it be? Well, with that in mind, there's also a new poll out on shrinkflation, which shows that an overwhelming majority of Canadians... Are worried about it. The poll was done for Global News by Ipsos, and it found that 84% of respondents are concerned about shrinkflation, and uh, basically, which means that grocery items are smaller, but we're paying the same price as before, or in some cases, even more. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy, and the director of the Agri Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Charlebois, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Shrinkflation, as you well know, has been around for quite a while. When did it really take off?
4: Oh my goodness! Uh, it's it's a it's an industrial practice. It's been around for decades, really. Uh, what we're learning from from this new survey is that people are much more aware of shrinkflation than than before. Uh, we've been talking about shrinkflation uh, a lot more in recent months, uh, over the last couple of years, because of higher food prices. So people are looking uh, much more closely uh, at prices. And and of course, they're looking at quantities, how much they're getting for their dollar at the grocery store. And so shrinkflation has really come up on several occasions the last several months and uh it's really it's really a strategy, because it is a strategy. It's not illegal, it's not fraud, it's uh all the information is provided to you at retail. Uh but it it really annoys a lot of Canadians.
0: Are there more items that are more common to be shrinkflated, so to speak?
4: Well, if you have to think about uh, all all of the food products that are sold uh, packaged, essentially, so uh, if there is packaging is involved, uh, you're likely going to see a product that has been shrinkflated. flated. You, you you've seen less of that in in the fresh uh, section, although we're starting to see uh, some shrinkflation cases. In produce, uh, for example, in strawberries, uh, I've heard that uh, in some parts of the country we're seeing smaller containers uh, to uh, sell to people who live alone or to elderly couples who may actually be eating less. That's the excuse that we're using in the industry. But uh, you're basically getting uh, fewer strawberries uh, for, for... for the price uh, that you would pay for a larger container essentially so they're they're shrinking containers and 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 getting consumers to change their methods their ways
0: dr sylvain charlebois is our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 ch the food professor and the director of the agri-food analytics lab at dalhousie university we're talking about shrinkflation on the show today Uh, is it going to get worse? Are we going to see more and more products, more and more packages shrunk and those prices staying the same or getting even higher? Uh,
4: Typically, we see uh, waves of shrinkflation cases when commodity prices go up, which is exactly what happened uh, over the last couple of years uh, with uh, COVID and, and of course, last year with Ukraine. Uh, those, Those Issues I would say are behind us, so we're expecting fewer cases moving forward. Over the less over the next five years or so, we are expecting fewer cases, but uh, we are expecting uh, that strategy to continue. My concern, my I have two concerns about shrinkflation Really, one: Are we actually measuring the impact of shrinkflation on inflation itself? Uh, now, Statistics Canada has argued that. They they do measure the impact of inflation, but we haven't seen any evidence of that. That's my first concern. My, my other concern is that inflation can actually cost you way more than just getting less for your money. Because in, in some cases, let's take ice cream for example. Uh, if your, if your container is under five hundred milliliters. Uh, it becomes, uh, according to the Cane Re- Revenue Agency, it becomes a snack. And if it is a snack, you get taxed on it at <laughs> retail. You don't necessarily notice at the, at the till, at the grocery store, but you are charged a tax. And depending where you are in the country, it can vary between 5 to 15% more bars uh, snack bars if 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 in the box you get 5 instead of 6 which is another case of shrinkflation you get taxed on it because it's considered a snack as well so those are things that really concerns us in terms of how our fiscal policies are basically making uh, shrinkflation a worse problem than it is right now
0: can't believe they're messing with our ice cream dr charlebois
4: Exactly. <laughs> so ice cream, I mean, Ben and & Jerry's and Dust, I don't want to throw brands, but those are two companies that have actually, they've shrink-flated their containers down below 500 milliliters of late, and uh, you are charged a retail tax when you leave the grocery store.
0: Something to keep in mind the next time you're at said grocery store. Dr. Charles Lebron will have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time today.
4: All right. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: That is the food professor, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Shrinkflation, not only real, but it seems to be affecting uh, each corner of the grocery store and probably will so for some time.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Let's switch gears here and talk about uh, the world of politics and deepfake fake. Because as we know, and as we grow accustomed to using and seeing artificial intelligence uh, at work or at home, there are concerns that deepfake could impact the political realm. Well, how so? Let's ask our experts, Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Carmi, good morning. How are you? Great to be here, Rick. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Uh, let, let's just lay the foundation here. What, what is mm. deepfake?
7: So a deepfake is uh, any uh, multimedia content, so it could be audio, could be video, uh, that uh, looks real, but isn't. So it's basically a fake. So for example, you can see a deepfake of Joe Biden would have him saying things that he would never say, but it looks like him because it uses artificial intelligence. It's a trained system that takes footage of him and then sort of puts it back together saying things that he would have never said. So, you know, if you lean in closely, you realize, ah, this doesn't sound perfect, it looks a little bit off. But for the uninitiated, it's like, no, that's good enough. I'll take that at face value.
0: Now, pair that technology with the world of social media, or even the online world, where not everything you see and hear is true. This could be used, and in some cases already being used, to coerce or entice potential voters to say, hey, look at this candidate, look what this person said. How how could you vote for this individual?
7: I hate to freak everyone out first thing in the morning, but it's already happening. The Republican Party is already using uh, AI-generated ads, and there is a disclaimer in the corner there, so you have to look for it, but it's there. Uh, their first ad, it's called Beat Biden, and basically it shows a dystopian America, how terrible America is under under joe biden uh, but none of it is real all of those images are generated by ai the entire thing is a construct so but the thing is it gets out there on social media and as we know and you and i have talked about this many times people consume what they what they what they see on on social media without checking without filtering without validating or verifying and so they see this they take it as gospel and then they share it and and sort of the 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 echo chamber continues to intensify all based on content that isn't even real um so anyone who has an agenda and politics is is rife with that of course uh can can you know easily spread viral misinformation and disinformation uh, and by the time that correction is issued it's too late it's already out there we've already dissected it on social media the pitchfork wielding mob has already spoken uh, and there's no going back for it once that untruth is out there.
0: Is there any movement to create a new set of rules to say, hey, listen, uh, you know, despite a little disclaimer in the corner, we need something more.
7: Well, the good news here, Rick, is there actually is. It's called Bill C twenty seven, and it is a proposed law. It's working its way through the House of Commons now here in Canada that would uh, create guardrails or rules, regulations, as well as consequences for for crossing those lines um, in Canada on the appropriate or inappropriate use of artificial intelligence. And so, uh, you know, be, because it's so far from actually becoming law, we don't quite we don't know what those final rules will look like. But the fact that there's even something in the pipeline gives me a little bit of hope that hmm, maybe the Canadian government kind of recognizes this as an issue we should get out ahead of it. So we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're moving in the right direction, which is better than I can say for a lot of other countries, which literally don't have any pending legislation at all. So for once in its life, Canada seems to be leading the charge. Good for them.
0: There was a uh, an election uh, in Denmark last year in which one of the parties called the Synthetic Party uh, actually used, ran a candidate led by an AI chief. Chatbot and they named it Leader Lars, uh, which is funny yet scary at the same time.
7: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I, I think they were trying to send a message. And the reason that I, I didn't lose sleep over that one, I actually found that kind of refreshing, was that they were upfront about it. And I think as long as you're upfront about the technology that you're using as part of your messaging, then I think that it, it, it leaves it open for the rest of us to decide. Either, you know, you know, we accept it or we don't. We know where it's coming from. It's when you're not that upfront about it. It's when parties start using AI-based imagery and AI-based messaging in ways that aren't obvious, where they don't put the disclaimer on, where they don't put it in their very name. That's where I think we have some very moral and ethical blurry lines to deal with, uh, and we we haven't really dealt with them. Almost every day, there's a new tool that's being released. Everyone's trying new and cool and different things, um, and 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 we're we're going to have issues with that, right? We are going to cross lines. They, someone was uh, there was a new tool called MidJourney that you know these folks were playing with on Reddit and they were creating images, and one image of the Pope uh, wearing a white puffy jacket got out. Um, and in on social media, everybody thought it was real and people were freaking out about it. Uh, but you know, it was, it was just a demo that inadvertently got out. Uh, and that wasn't even someone planning uh, to use AI for malevolent purposes. Imagine when they do. That's the scary thing is that you have all these individuals playing with the technology, no rules governing what happens if you misuse it and no consequences for doing so.
0: That's pretty troubling stuff.
7: Carmi, great catching up
0: with you this morning. Enjoy the rest of your day.
7: Appreciate being here, Rick. Thank you.
0: Carmen Levy, technology analyst and journalist joining us here on the show.
7: Thanks for
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode, and make 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 sure you rate and review.